What's up, Atlanta sports fans? I'm Graham Waldrop, and alongside me, as always, is Adam the Hawks have fired Lloyd Pierce Kalau, and we are Atlanta Zone. Two Atlanta natives recapping the week that was in Atlanta professional sports, wacky ass hijinks, and analysis. Adam, how's it going, sir? Graham, it is going pretty well, actually. You know, it was a pleasant surprise from you that you wanted to record while it was still light outside, and you were very high energy, which got me pumped up to do this podcast. So I appreciate that. And it's a podcast that's, you know, it's become a little more common. It's an Atlanta sports franchise has fired its head coach podcast. Uh, mixed in with a Atlanta sports franchise has extended a head coach podcast. So we've got some negatives to discuss today and some positives. I'd imagine since this is the society we live in now, we'll have to start with the negatives in Lloyd Pierce being fired. Well, negative for the man anyways, could be positives for the fan base. But how are you doing, Graham, with all that being said? I'm doing pretty well, yeah. I, I just gotten back from a run, and I was like, you know, I have some other things I need to do, but I'd rather just jump into this podcast. I'd rather also get the people what they want earlier as opposed to them having to wait another week for content from us, especially with such a pressing thing like the Hawks franchise, not really being in disarray, but undergoing a transition, a really important transition. And we're going to get into the nitty-gritty of the Lloyd Pierce era and dissect it with the help of a tremendous article published today on The Athletic. If you're not if you're not on The Athletic, this isn't uh, a, a thing to say that The Athletic sponsors us or anything like that, but it really is the best sports coverage. Adam and I were talking pre-show about, hell, even the AJC, digital AJC, puts all their shit behind paywalls, and most of it ain't that great. So The Athletic has quality articles from writers who are just fully ingrained into their teams that they cover and it's great shit and then another example of that today was the beat writer for or the hawks reporter for the athletic chris kirshner along with sam amick and david aldridge wrote an incredible retrospective of the lloyd pierce era and where everything went wrong along with covering how great of a humanitarian lloyd is and getting into his life too. It was a really, it's a great article. It's going to be a huge thing for us. As we're going to constantly reference it. So I, I suggest if you're a sports fan, get into the athletic. It's not that expensive. It's like I think they do an offer right now where it's like three ninety nine a month to get quality content from every single major sports team there is in America. And hell, there's even soccer stuff. So if you like sports, I would say the athletic's the number one place to go for coverage. Is that was that a jab at soccer right there by saying they even have soccer stuff? Yeah, beyond um, beyond the things that we actually care about, since we are very biased, there's stuff for the things that we don't care about as much. That's fair. Well, I'm glad that I texted you telling you to read that article. It, it seems like it, it got you pretty fired up. Yeah, I mean, it was just a great piece of writing, and there was a lot of care put into it. You could tell, like, they spent, probably when it was announced, that, that the three people that worked on this article put every waking hour into it. It's, it's such an in-depth expose that's done in a very fair way and doesn't really paint anyone to be the bad guy. It just says, you know, this is what happened. And um, it's, it's a great read, and we're going to, like I said, it's, it's going to be kind of our guiding light today. Well, I'll let you lead all that, Graham, but for the sake of continuity, 
I feel like I have to do my Hawks recap. So since we last spoke to you about the Hawks, and this is Tuesday night now, the day after Lloyd Pierce was fired, Lloyd Pierce lost the last two games of his career, 109-118 to OKC and 99-109 to to the Heat, which was a classic fourth quarter blown lead that involved the Heat having a 10-0 run down the stretch with less than five minutes to go to seal the game. Uh, We got a grand total of nine points out of our bench that day. Gallinari, after his, what was like 38 points or whatever he did last week, setting the record for threes in Atlanta Hawks franchise history, went two of 10 for six points to lead the bench unit. Your boy, Rajon, two-year, $11 million Rondo, wrapped up the bench scoring with one three-pointer made. And... Our hopefully future franchise superstar, Trey Young, went 3 of 14 from from the field. And that wrapped up the Lloyd Pierce era. So, all that being said... Oh, you got got any questions there, Graham? I got a question for you, Adam. How many fourth quarter blown leads is that for the Hawks this year? Uh, That's an excellent question and one I actually happen to have the answer to. That is the... I know it's more than 10. that, That is the 11th fourth quarter blown lead for the Hawks this season. Jesus. Which, that that's the thing. And I'm going to jump into the Lloyd Pierce stuff. I've made the argument many times as well that he literally hasn't had his entire core this entire season in terms of Bogdanovich, Hunter, Capella, and Dunn, Gallinari all playing together with Trey Young and John Collins. They all played together one game minus Dunn, obviously, because uh, Capella missed the first game of the year. So the injury thing has been absolutely a horrible, horrible thing that has not given Lloyd Pierce the chance to show what he could possibly achieve as the head coach of this franchise. That being said, just with John Collins, Trey Young, Clint Capella, Kevin Herter, there's enough pieces, and it shows that we've had 11 games where we were leading in the fourth quarter that we blew. So, And don't forget about DeAndre Hunter when he was healthy. Right, exactly. And yeah, sure, some of those losses came with DeAndre as well. But we've been in a lot of games, which means you have the talent, you just need to execute down the stretch. And that is why, like, I'm certainly not weeping any tears. Like, I always feel bad going into a head coach being fired. I want it to happen. But then once it happens, you think about the man and the family, and you feel a little bad. I felt I felt bad about Dan Quinn. Like, both of these are very accomplished professionals in basketball and football. They're going to land on their feet. They're going to be okay. But it's still a sad thing for the person. But for the franchise, I have no problems with it. I respect the fact that Schlenk pulled the trigger now. So we didn't have a Dan Quinn type letting it go on for a year and a half too long. And from listening to Schlenk's press conference, it kind of was just a gut feeling thing that this He just kept saying the franchise needed a new voice in order to accomplish our goal. And that goal is the goal that was set out by owner Tony Ressler at the beginning of this year to make the playoffs. And it sure as hell seems like that is a legitimate goal that I'd imagine Travis Schlenk's job is also hanging above as well. So the pressure's on Schlenk now. Like Pierce, obviously there's a lot of people in this franchise that have failed. A lot of the players with their horrendous shooting down the stretch – Schlenk 
with what looks like a couple of really bad free agent signings right now. But Pierce had to be the first guy to go. I do, like I said, I respect the fact that, you know, you and I can look at it and, and also just have the same gut feeling. This isn't going to work. Lloyd Pierce isn't the guy. He was the development guy to get us to this point. Some of these young players, DeAndre Hunter especially, are achieving beyond their means. But it was time to make a move. And instead of even waiting to the All-Star game, they recognize, hey, even these next two games, they matter a lot right now. Let's put in an accomplished NBA coach in Nate McMillan that could possibly win us one or two more games than Lloyd Pierce would. And they obviously knew that they didn't want to go with him any further. So the deed was done. Yeah, and I think, too, based off what's been said in the press and in this this article I keep referencing, Tony Ressler is not Liberty Media. Tony Ressler is not Arthur Blank. Tony Ressler wants to win and expects to have development from this group to get them to the playoffs. That is the goal. I think a lot of this came from him, this decision. And it's not really, you know, 100% confirmed that he was like, get this guy out of here. But this man has shown before that, you know, he wants to have world-class facility. Think about all the stuff he's done since he's taken over the Hawks organization. Given the Hawks the best training facility in the NBA with Emory partnership with Emory Healthcare, revitalized State Farm Arena, um, or Phillips Arena into State Farm Arena and made it, you know, the ultimate. I, I think it's one of the better fan experiences in Atlanta when we can go to games. Hopefully that's that's soon. And more importantly, he's shown that he wants to bring the right people in here to try to build a championship. And he's not going to sit around on his hands and be like, oh, things will work out. Oh, Lloyd's my buddy. All this bullshit, blah, blah, blah. He's willing to make moves to win. He's not willing to sit around and suffer time and time again a letdown. He gave Lloyd Pierce as much leash as as anyone could expect. <clears throat> I think considering now that we have 11 fourth quarter collapses, Yes, there are a lot of things that were against Lloyd in terms of all those, a lot of those free agent signings haven't worked out and a lot of injuries. But as you were saying, Adam, you're 100% right that the talent is here and we haven't executed to, I mean, hell, if we could have won half of those games that we've blown fourth quarter leads in, we'd probably be in third or fourth place in the East. We're in 11th place right now, three and a half games out of the playoffs. And it's not like we're that far out. So just think about it. Just six games that you don't blow fourth quarter leads in. And he probably also saw a lot of the in-game management was bullshit, like you know, not playing Clint Capella in the fourth quarter at the end of games. I think there's a whole other number of things that we're going to get into, but my point I'm trying to make right now is, is I like Tony Ressler as, as an owner. He suffers no fools. He gives you a chance, a fair chance. You know, This is Lloyd's, what, third year that he was the coach? Yep. A fair chance to show market improvement. And that was not being seen within this organization, and he, and he decided to make a move. And I respect the hell out of that. So maybe that elitist paywall article that you read referenced that, but Schlenk's, Schlenk was very clear that this was his decision and not Tony Ressler's. Like He said that Ressler obviously okayed it, but he, he made a point to say that it was him and his front office staff's decision. And that may just be, you know, GM talk, if you will. But they made it pretty clear that it was the Schlenk and not Wrestler. Did that article say otherwise? It didn't really say otherwise, but you'd have to think that he, especially when you're talking about firing a manager, that he has to be a little, or sorry, not manager, head coach. I'm talking about basketball. He has to be consulted on that to a degree. It's his team. Yeah, absolutely consulted. Like Schlenk has to feel that pressure from Wrestler. Wrestler's, uh, I don't think he's as hands-on an owner as... Arthur Blank is in terms of being, you know, in front of the press and 
giving out all these platitudes and saying Falcons are Hawks for life and shit like that. But Wrestler has shown that he wants to let the basketball people do their job, but that he also has a command over the franchise. Yeah, he definitely okayed yeah. it, but I think a lot of it has to do with him publicly saying at the beginning of the season, it's playoffs or bust. So, you know, it yeah. kind of surprised a lot of us and kind of rushed this rebuild to an extent. And it kind of leaves us in a, in a weird situation because – you know, we were just constantly building up the draft capital and holding on to money to spend on free agents. But now that we've gone out there and spent all this money on, so I mean, Bogdanovich, who I think I think he'll still be fine. But you know, Gallinari, he just looks like a wounded gazelle out there. Anytime he tries to drive uh, and do anything in the paint, and his shot, he'll either set franchise records or just be a brick all day. So he, he's an obvious question mark. And then Rondo being the just complete nonsense that he is. And now we got Trey Young with all sorts of questions about whether he wants to be here and John Collins. So like the franchise is in an arguably worse spot than it was just three months ago because of this mandate that we have to make the playoffs. So that that's a little concerning to me. And you're right that Nate Mc, and I think that's why this Nate McMillan thing is happening and that we need to win right now, not just for the Schlenk's job, but for these young potential superstars on our roster to keep them in Atlanta. We're, we're back at square one. And not only did Tony Ressler declare that the Hawks should you know be in the playoffs this year, but Lloyd Pierce said that too. Right. He said that in March of last year that the Hawks would be in the playoffs this season. And and the fact that we are only a couple games out of, they've got like that play in game this year, which I'm sure you hate because you're a traditionalist. Yeah. Where it's like 10 teams or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the fact that I, mean, I think that's all the more reason to make the move now is if you, if, if you clearly need a new voice, you're still in this thing. As Schlenk said, it's not like we're 10 games back or anything like this can be turned around and Bogdanovich is supposed to be back tonight playing a few minutes, which is great news. So That is big news. And Brad Rowland was speculating, along with a lot of Hawks Twitter, that the reason they pulled the trigger so quickly, and which was, it was kind of strange where Lloyd Pierce like coached the team yesterday in Miami and then gets fired after practice. So it, it, that was just kind of strange in himself. And Schlenk said he wanted to tell him to his face. But there was some speculation going on that they didn't want Lloyd to win these next two games, potentially going into the All-Star break with Bogdanovich coming back and starting to get a little healthier. And then it make it harder to fire him or like the optics look worse. So coming off two more terrible losses, it's like, yeah, no problem. You're not going to get many complaints from the fans. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense and probably answers the question about why now and not wait until the All-Star break. Or even a little later than that, if you want to see after the All-Star break for a week or two, what's going on. But I think, you know, let's talk about Travis Slink for a second before we get into Lloyd Pierce. A lot of moves that he's made haven't panned out. I mean, I even not even about the free agent class of this year, which is starting to look a little busty right now and not busty in a good way but busty like he's it, it, it might be a bust endeavor i'm talking about 
Rajon Rondo, who we've mentioned has been, you know, pretty bad, awful this year. The Hawks have been 14.9 points worse with him on the floor than with, when he's not on the floor. Chris Dunn missing the entire season. Bogdanovich he can't really control because he's been injured. Gallinari has been dog shit so far, even though I know he had that one good game and he's had a couple of decent games. But other than that, he, he has not looked good at all. And then, you know, we also talk about guys like Bruno Fernando, Evan Turner last year. The really the biggest moves I think that uh, have worked for Schlenk has been Clint, bringing Clint Capella in here was was <laughs> wonderful, and we didn't lose a lot. Obviously, I think he can draft well. When we, you know, in terms of DeAndre Hunter, Trey, John Collins, and JC. Yeah. So not every move is going to land, and and Schlenk has proven that you know he is cap- and a capable evaluator of talent. I think he's done more good than bad but in terms of free agency there's not a lot to write home about so far in his Hawks career at least he, he's missed every year on the backup point guard like you had mentioned Evan Turner remember we had Jeff Teagan here Rondo now right. and that's been such a huge issue is having someone who can run the second unit while Trey Young has to sit and that's where we lose a lot of these games between the first and second quarter and third and fourth quarter right and is is the best schlank free agent move Vince Carter which was really just the novelty of seeing him somehow be able to play at age 40 and hit a couple of threes and do a dunk every once in a while and just be a good team guy I mean is that the best fucking free agent move that uh not Lloyd Pierce sorry Travis Schlenk has made so far I get what you're trying to do, but no, I mean, it's going to be Bogdanovich and don't give up on Gallinari. Like if you see a guy go 10 of 10 from three, there's something there. And just the fact. Oh yeah. He's still a good player. It's just, he, he hasn't looked good overall this year. One game does not a. Right. But he he has, but he has a good enough track record that we know he can be a very effective NBA player offensively. And he's not here in the role that he was expected to be in with all the injuries. He was going to be more of the guy spacing the floor, being instant offense off the bench, and not having to play this many minutes. Like he was supposed to be a 25 to 30 minute guy, and he's having to play 35, 40 just because we have no bodies right now. Like Cam Reddish has been out the last four games as well. Like it's it's ridiculous. So the Rondo thing looks terrible, and Chris Dunn looks terrible right now as well, just knowing that he had this injury history. I guess we, we got to see how this pl- this season plays out the second half with a proven NBA head coach and hopefully some healthy bodies before we can really judge the schlink too much. Because remember, he traded up for DeAndre Hunter. Everyone thought that was a massive, massive reach, and now he's looking like one of the best players to come out of that draft. So that that's really big in his stock, obviously, the trade Doncic trade is, you know, a lot of people would say not so great for the Schlenk right now. He, I mean, he's the next guy on the hot seat. We always come back to the same conclusion that Trey, you know, is still a great player when you had the old Luca Trey argument, but he should have, he should have stayed with Luca. Luca is better than Trey plus Cam. I don't know why he made that decision fully. What, what they saw in Trey that they didn't see. I mean, I, I guess at that point we were trying to just build as much capital as possible, and Luca maybe wasn't right. a given. I know a lot of Hawks fans at the time did not want Luka Doncic, so I didn't want Trey Young. I'm, I'm, I love Trey now because I, I see how capable he is. But 
man, I was so mad when we passed on Luca just because, you know, you look at the tape, you see the size, you see that he can do almost everything that Trey can do, but do it better with the exception of maybe passing the ball. But it's not like he's a, a terrible assist person or anything like that. He's, you know, he's still one of the better guys at dishing the rock in the league. So if, if I'm looking at the optics of just how these guys are playing and I see that he's a better shooter than Trey, a better defender, a better rebounder, maybe not as good of a passer, I'd rather have the guy that can do those three things better than the guy that can be a better passer if the passing is comparable from Luca's end. So it's just, I was just, I'm still kind of incensed about it. But I also didn't think Trey was going to be as good as he is. So that's why I'm not as, as angry about it. But it's still the wrong move. I, I'm so sick of this. It comes up every week now. Like we're doing it every week as well. It, it's impossible to get I away figure from. we should at least have a different conversation about it, though. I think the definitive answer was the wrong move. Cam Cam Reddish could still turn into an all-star NBA player. I'll say that much. And that was actually something. Let's get into Lloyd. Let's get into Lloyd some more because that's a good segue. Multiple players, Trey and John Collins especially, have said, or, or it's been it's been gathered from sources, that there has been a lot of tension with the players and Lloyd Pierce. Lloyd Pierce doesn't take accountability for his mistakes, and he's a complete hard ass and doesn't listen to his his players. Lloyd Pierce came out a couple years ago and said that he doesn't draw up plays for John Collins. And when John said, I want to be more involved in the offense, Lloyd just dismissed him. That was sort of how Lloyd ran ship, you know, according to looking at this article, was that it was his way or the highway. And he, he was kind of infallible. And the players just couldn't really communicate with them. They would go, when they had an issue, they would go talk to the assistant coach as opposed to talking to Lloyd because they didn't think Lloyd would listen to them. And then they would just hope that the assistant coach would relay any issues or ideas to the coach. And this is kind of relatable to me right now. Not that I'm the, I'm the coach, but I have three new people that started working at my company. And I think one of the things that you have to figure out is when you have three new people that, you know, you're kind of, and I, my job is to kind of tell them what they're working on and make sure things get done on time. My job is to kind of get to know them and figure out what works for them. Still, we have to have a solid foundation of what we're trying to do, but it has to be malleable. It has to be flexible. We have to be able to adjust and adapt to each other and it has to be a two-way street, even with coach player. And it didn't sound like Lloyd was willing to do that at all. And the tension between Lloyd and the rest of the team just snowballed. And it was apparently an awful, awful uh, environment. And a lot of, and then there's another insane thing in this article talking about how Cam Reddish had an, a huge issue with Pierce's coaching, and Reddish felt like he was being picked on behind the scenes and that he was being singled out more than anybody. And a lot of, then there are players on the Hawks roster that think that Reddish's potential is higher than anyone within the entire organization, but that Lloyd Pierce's input was stunning his development. And that's pretty much a quote from that article. And that's crazy. Especially when you're talking about young players, it's like, you know, he's got to mold these guys. It's got to, you know, and it's a tough thing to be at the top and and, and working with these these young players and and trying to figure them out. But just to come in and just have this kind of blinders mentality on, uh, of of I'm going to say what I'm going to say, you're going to do what what I'm going to tell you to, and there's no way around that. It doesn't create a great environment for, especially for younger players. I imagine older players. 
I mean, this is all kind of surprising to me because that was the thing about Lloyd Pierce is I, I feel like I never had much of an opinion about him either way. You you didn't see much of him in press conferences as far as like making a big impact on you. I guess you his reputation coming out of Philly was like, oh, everyone like this guy's a stud. The Hawks got a steal, but maybe he's more of an assistant coach. Like you would think as a first time head coach, you would lean on your assistants who have been in the game before and know how to lead a franchise uh, like the veteran guys. And that's, that's just very, very surprising that, I mean, it seems like he had a my way or the highway type mentality based off you're saying there. That's great if it works, but if it doesn't, you're totally fucked. And I think that's what happened to, to Lloyd here. So is that he, he had this, this mentality and it bit him in the ass. I was going to say, for a guy like Cam Reddish as well, coming from Duke, even though he was just there for one year, but you play for a guy like Coach Gay, who's been doing it for, what, 35-plus years, and not only at the collegiate le- level, but has gone to the Olympics and led NBA players. Like, it's got to be tough to go from that and know what a Hall of Fame coach is to – a guy who's never done it before and is giving you shit. Yeah. And also just to, here's another thing that was crazy about this John Collins situation is that when John Collins went to Pierce about, you know, the issue of, of, of Pierce not calling a place for him, when John was clearly the number two on the team, Pierce said that John Collins was being selfish and that was never cleared up. And there was just bad blood boiling for two years after that so hopefully i mean maybe this was an attempt to save the possibility of john collins remaining a hawk beyond this year by moving on from pierce if it it was that much bad blood and i also wonder you'll notice a lot of the games where john collins does go off trey young doesn't do anything and that like he has his worst games and i guess it's they're not really drawing plays for john he's just kind of going out there doing his own thing and that's why the rest of the offense doesn't really click. like Which is crazy to me. John is clearly your second best player. Article mentions again that it feels like in the fourth quarter there's more stagnation in the offense and not as much fluidity. And anytime the players were like, hey, can we, you know, get back to that kind of like, you know, moving the ball around kind of mentality, you know, Lloyd Pierce didn't want to do that. This, this article also touches a lot on Lloyd Pierce's in-game management. And one of the, the crazy ones was from December 2019 in Miami. And I'm just going to read directly from the article here. The, the Hawks led by six in the final minute when Pierce substituted Young out for DeAndre Bembry for defensive purposes. After Miami cut Atlanta's lead down to three, Pierce failed to call a timeout to reinsert Young on the offense. Bembry ended up getting a shot blocked. The Heat tied the game and eventually went into overtime where the Hawks lost. I remember this game. Yeah, me too. Uh, they brought it up. And that was... One of the moments when you're like, what the hell is Lloyd Pierce? Why is he on the sideline if you're making that call? And this also was a precursor, I think, to the Clint Capella thing, except it was the opposite. He was afraid of what would happen to Clint Capella on offense or at the free throw line if he's fouled. It's like managing out of fear. The, Trey Young on the court versus Trey Young off the court at the end of a game is, should be a no-brainer. Even if he's not the greatest defender, who gives a shit? If they make a three... Guess what's going to happen? Trey Young can go up and answer in the blink of an eye or find the open guy. What's DeAndre Bembry's value going to provide you other than maybe a little bump in defense? His priorities just seemed completely 
completely lost here in terms of the, his strategy. It was just not good when it, when it came down to crunch time. It's a classic playing to not lose the game as opposed to playing to win the game. Similar to me at disc golf the other day where I was up like five strokes and then just tried to make a bunch of pars and I got, got overtaken in the last two holes. It's the way it goes. Nope. You got to remain aggressive. Keep the pedal down. For real. And they mentioned this, which I thought was uh, quite fascinating, where a similar situation happened in a game in Cleveland a few weeks after Miami game in, in uh, 2019. And Pierce had Trey Young inbound the ball, the hope he'd get it right back and put up a clean shot attempt at the end of the game. Instead, the Cavaliers denied him a good look, and the Hawks lost. After the game, Trey asked, was asked about if he wanted to be an inbounds passer or not, and he said, it's not anybody else's way, it's the coach's way. So this this is just, you know, like we said, this has been building for a while. It's a combination of the chemistry was bad on the team, it seems like, and the execution by the coach was was poor at the end of games. And you can say it's not all on Lloyd in terms of where we are because obviously players have to play, but if you don't put players in a position to succeed, then how can we be successful, especially when a lot of games in the NBA can come down to the final minutes or final seconds? Why is your best defender not on the court to defend during the final seconds? Why is your best offensive player off the court when you're up? It's just, it's, it's ludicrous. It makes no fucking sense to me. Well, what's in, I mean, it's, it's always easy to point out all the dude's flaws once he's gone and you can look back on things like that. But what's interesting is the guy that we're now putting as the interim head coach, Nate McMillan, he came here because he believed in Lloyd Pierce so much. Like, and he just came here this year. And he believed in Lloyd Pierce to the point that he almost didn't want to take over the interim role. Like that would have been a true to Atlanta role thing to happen if we fire Lloyd Pierce intending to put Nate McMillan there, and then he doesn't accept it, which apparently almost happened until he had to like get Lloyd Pierce's consent. So it's interesting that Nate McMillan, a guy who's been a head coach for 10 plus years, supported and believed so much in Lloyd Pierce. So obviously there was something he was doing correctly, but I mean, yeah, everything he's, everything you just said is obviously very problematic. Yeah. But I think that's fascinating too, what you just said about McMillan and his, and him coming because he likes Lloyd Pierce so much. And that's another thing too. Lloyd Pierce is beloved by the coaching community. Greg Popovich, Rick Carlisle, Doc Rivers, Stan Van Gundy, all, have publicly said they love this guy. Rick Carlisle released a huge statement, I think this morning, saying he was flabbergasted by the fact that Lloyd Pierce was fired and he was a great young coach and all this stuff. When we've had coaches leave or get fired, like when Mike Woodson was fired, did we see anything like that where people were like, oh, Mike Woodson's the best and blah, blah, blah? I don't think so. Yeah, I, I think, but Mike Wil- Woodson had a good shake of things. Like, I mean, he was there for a long time. The problem with Lloyd Pierce is that two and a half years, the franchise wasn't actually trying to win until this year and we had all the injuries. So that that's the difference there. Yeah. And I think too, that, I mean, we, we said this when Lloyd Pierce was hired, this guy is probably not the guy to get us to the top before there was any chemistry issues or in-game execution, et cetera. We kind of, you kind of knew this going in and Lloyd Pierce even said this in an interview with, uh, Jeff Schultz the other week where he said, and I quote from that article, Travis is going to fire me one day. And you know what I'm going to say? The guy gave me a great opportunity in life. Do you think I'm going to be pissed? He's damn near my best friend. 
And just for some other prior context, Pierce and Schlenk were both in the Golden State Warriors organization for 10 years. So they'd known each other a long time. So this had to be particularly painful for Travis Schlenk. Yeah, he, he spoke a lot about that on his press conference he did where, you know, he said all, all he said about the conversation with Lloyd is that he handled it with all the class that you would expect him to. But, I mean, you know, he commented on how, like, it's not just Lloyd Pierce's family that's affecting. It's like all of his assistant coaches that are probably going to be going with him, all of their video guys. So it was – it's not a decision you make half-heartedly. It was a terrible Monday for the Schlank. And, you know, that they will remain friends forever, but I get, you got to do what's best for the organization. Yeah. And this article also highlights how critical Lloyd Pierce was in terms of uh, social justice, racial justice and reform, in terms of trying to do meaningful things in the community. And also he was a pretty uh, apparently a key contributor to getting State Farm Arena opened as a polling location for the elections last November. So Lloyd Pierce sounds like a really, you know, socially conscious, great guy off the court it just seems like on the court he rubbed his players the wrong way he refused to adjust or be accountable and his strategy eventually just soured and it has brought us where we are right now i think that's the that's the that's the core of it i think you nailed it like 20 or 30 minutes ago when you said the fact that we had those leads in the fourth quarter means that you know the ingredients are here to compete maybe not for an nba title or anything or a deep playoff run but at least to play meaningful basketball in March and April, and maybe May if you're really fucking lucky, you know? Right. And the Heat, I mean, the Eastern Conference sucks so much this year, so it's a good year to try to make a run at it. I don't want any more lottery picks, Graham. We're good there. Yeah, yeah. Especially, I mean, you just watch college basketball now, man. I've watched a decent amount this year. The quality of play just isn't, you know, you're not getting studs as much anymore coming out of, of, of big premier schools teams like Gonzaga and Baylor are, are, are big time powerhouse teams this year and, and the, one of the reasons for that is that you know the, the rosters are comprised of seniors and juniors and guys that have been there for a while and are good players but I don't think either you know I don't, I don't think there's really any super standouts there that are going to come and transform your, transform your NBA roster and then you got guys like I love this guy in Carolina, Dave Ron Sharp's fantastic inside presence, but he's only a freshman and he needs more seasoning, but he's probably going to go to the NBA this year when he shouldn't and develop his game some more. So it's weird, like these guys that could be absolute studs are leaving too early and they, they could flame out of the league in a few years. You never know, or maybe they won't, but it's just like the, the clear game changers aren't there in the college game right now as much as they used to be. It is So it's just... Exactly why I agree with you. I do not want another lottery pick either. Yeah, it is weird to like look at look at it with Okongwu. Like, had he stayed in college for like he's not playing right now. He's getting right like on a good day six seven minutes a game, and this is with all these injuries. So he's just not going to develop at all right now at the NBA level, where he could be at USC, probably being one of the top players in the nation, allowing players to lead. To leave after one year has certainly hurt the college game overall. Yeah, and in turn, it hurts the NBA game, too, in terms of the next generation of players. Yeah, then we got to sit and watch Cam Radish take two to three years to develop a Kongwu, the same thing. So it's it's 
it's tough to watch on both ends. Let's let's talk doomsday scenario, Adam. If the Hawks don't bounce back, the Nate McMillan experiment doesn't work. If we miss the playoffs, John Collins is probably out of here if he's not already out by this point. And Trey Young could certainly be wanting out. Because I think, what, is next year the last year in his deal, or has he got a year after that? I'm not sure. I think he's got a year after that, but... He could request a trade, you know, whatever. Like, you were, like you've been saying for the entirety of Trey's stay here so far, keeping him happy is important, and that man is not happy right now. He's not as sad as Bradley Beal, but he's probably got to be frustrated with, with everything that's been going on right now. And I know I've shat on Trey in terms of his shot selection and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, he's our guy. He's our horse. You got to keep your horse fed. You got to keep your horse happy. Yeah, I mean, he, he knows this is as much on him as Lloyd Pierce, though. Like, you don't go 0 for 4 down the stretch with two turnovers if you're trying to call yourself a superstar. So he, no, he, he's got to I mean, step that's... it up, and maybe a lot of it was the Lloyd Pierce situation. So maybe he's happy now that Lloyd Pierce is gone. Fresh start for everybody. Good chemistry is, is, is critical in translating to good performance. I think if you don't have good chemistry in your team, you're not going to get the most out of guys on a consistent, any sort of consistent level. And I'll also say this about Lloyd, I think to wrap this up, you know, defeat is an orphan, but victory has a thousand fathers. So we can all go crazy about us not performing that well this year and all the issues. And there are valid issues like we've talked about and probably run to the ground at this point. But it's got to be a damn lonely feeling when you're the coach of major organization in the NBA, NFL, NHL, MLB, whatever, and you're you're gone. And it's all on and it feels like it's all on you. Whereas when it's success, everybody gets a piece of the pie, but when it's failure, it's all on the coach. I don't think it's all on the coach, but I do think it was the right move. It just you're right. It does suck for Lloyd and we wish him and his family well. And let's see what Nate McMillan brings to the team on a more consistent basis now that he's the interim coach. All right, Adam, let's move on to the Braves. We know spring training is underway. The Braves have played, what, three games at this point, I think? It's the Rays and the Red Sox. Correct. And I think they're playing the Twins tonight, not the night when we're recording this. And I don't really give a shit about victories or losses or a ton about performance, especially in the early spring training games. However, it was really nice seeing Ronald Acuna Jr. running around, uh, hitting a double into left field and hustling into second base head for, with a head first slide. Yeah, I mean, your superstar day one of spring training, he's got nothing to prove, but he's still going all out. It's also a little scary. It's like you need to protect him from himself sometimes, but that's just the type of player he is. He's going to go all out. Yeah, I love seeing that. Darno hit a home run today. I drove Ozuna in. It just felt like your your friends are back. You know, we went through this whole stretch when we started this podcast of the Braves were kind of the bastard redheaded stepchild of Atlanta in the sense that the, the rebuild was was still happening. You know, the Falcons were on top. The Falcons had just come off blowing the, the worst lead in the history of professional American sports. However, they were still, you know, defending NFC champions and were still a contending team. And the Hawks were still going to the playoffs, even though they weren't very good. And the Braves were just sitting there, mired in their squalor. Just just terrible. And now, the Braves are clearly the cream of the crop. The Falcons are in disarray. The Hawks are in disarray. And the Braves seem to have figured out a way to win and compete for championships. When I was watching Darno round third base and come home after hitting that two-run homer, 
of just the, the soothing feeling I get from seeing the Braves now as opposed to when I hear anything about the Falcons or anything about the Hawks. There's always it's always mired in some bullshit. There's always some consternation. There's always just you can't feel great about anything. Even these new hires of Fontenot and Arthur Smith don't know how it's going to work out. We know the cap situation is fucked for the Falcons. We know Matt and Julio are getting older. We just went over all the reasons why the Hawks are in disarray. But when you see the Braves, it's like, all right, it's a calming feeling. This team can do something. And that calming feeling was reinforced when we extended Ryan Snitker the day after we released our last podcast, which was hilarious. He signed through 2024. So good shit. Excellent segue to that, Graham. Yeah, yeah. Snit has led us to this state of calm. And, you know, it's kind of the opposite of what you were just talking about with Lloyd Pierce, where it was Lloyd Pierce, his way or the highway. Snit is that player's manager. So on paper, a lot of, I mean, keep in mind, this was the guy that was brought in for like a cup of coffee as a big league manager. Thank you for your 30 years of service to the franchise. And now this, what is like third or fourth extension? Yeah. So it's something we all expect to keep happening until he proves that either he doesn't want to do it anymore or he shouldn't be that guy. But it is just he's such a consistent body in that dugout that you couldn't be happier for him. Like, yeah. He'll be the first guy to fight an umpire for his player, to fight another player for his player, to reel his guys in, know when to let them be themselves. Like he's he's a people's manager, and that's that's what you need in this day and age where it is kind of easier from the X's and O's for what you need to do. You, so you need someone that can run a clubhouse, and that's what Snicker can do. And that's the great thing, too, about Snicker is, yes, everything you said is 100% accurate in terms of his ability to relate to players and be on their level and be a guy that they want to go fight for. But he also, like we've talked about, he's adapted. He's he's survived and adapted to how baseball should be managed in today's day and age. And he didn't do that when he first came up. I was really critical of the way he utilized bullpen, the way he did in-game management. It's just, it's like a complete 180. So that's another juxtaposition of Lloyd Pierce in the sense that he adapted his strategy. And because he did, we've won the damn NLEs three times in a row, and we were one game away from getting the World Series. We have seen progress. Progress has been made. We haven't gotten where we want to yet, and we can't exactly say that Brian Snicker is the messiah or anything like that. However, he has proven that he is worth extending, and he has proven that he can win at a high level here. And so I am so happy that he got this extension and let the good times continue to roll, hopefully. On that same note of Snitker, you know, changing, it is March 2nd, 2021, and Nick Markakis is still not on the roster, Graham. Shocking. So that that's a surprising turn of events. And my big spring prediction is that Carl Edwards Jr. will be our second best right-handed reliever out of the pen, and Luke Jackson won't be on the team. If if Carl Edwards Jr. is up to the task, I'm all for that. I don't need to see any more from Luke Jackson. But I mean, at this point, Chris Martin's our only right-handed reliever in the pen. Right. So, you know, there's a good chance the slider man still gets in there, but Carl Edwards Jr. had a great uh, – he pitched in that first game, I believe. Yeah, one, two, three outing, I think in the eighth inning, looked pretty sharp according yeah. to all the prognosticators out there. So – Definitely be monitoring his progress in spring training for sure. I don't know what else to really just go with the, the Braves and him. We know spring training's underway. We've seen tons of pictures of Chipper Jones hammering it up with Freddie Freeman. Freddie coming out and saying, we got to get that World Series ring. And that's that's the last thing he has to do to, to match Chipper. He's won the MVP. 
done all this other stuff and he's like i gotta get that world series ring and then i'll have everything that chipper has so it's you know a nice little healthy rivalry there i would imagine between those two braves legends and acuna and ozzy seem fired up they they stopped by mlb network and we're just talking about how you know excited they are for the for the season and they're they're ready to just kick some ass and it just seems like everybody's focused everybody's locked in you know not really much else to say you you your boy Austin Riley's off to a big start. Yeah, yeah, he's looked good so far. About four hits in two games. Hugo has. What do you think about Hugo's take on Austin Riley? Remind, refresh right. my mind on that. I know he's kind of anti Austin Riley, right? He's very anti Austin Riley. Thinks that there's no way that Austin Riley can mentally come back from. I guess he's just referencing that double play that he thinks he can't mentally come back from that, and we need to just cut ties with him now. Even though he hasn't played a full major league season, that's a, I think that's his major take. Yeah, that's an absurd take. I don't think if you can't come back from one play as a professional player, then you know you can't survive uh, as a baseball player he, or or whatever you're playing. And he keeps I don't comparing think that, him to bo- that one play has any impact on my feelings towards Austin Riley. And let and let's also not forget who started that avalanche of horseshit, which was Dansby Swanson breaking from third with no one out and no reason to run. So I'm not saying, you know, it was, it was one play. It was a horrible play. You could argue that it, it swung that game completely, that game seven. But I'm not going to say that either one of those guys can't come back from that. I mean, that's just such a ridiculous take. And it's just there to get, he says that to get me riled up. I know him. And he succeeded. <laughs> Good job, Hugo. Well, he gets me too. Like, you and I both can't really talk on that text thread anymore because it's just frustration like he compared him to brooks conrad brooks conrad who was i don't remember how he got to the majors but he was there for what two or three seasons as a super utility player that was never supposed to see the field until we had major injuries and that's why he was in the situation yeah because prado and chipper got hurt to make all those errors yeah so to compare Austin Riley, who has been one of the top prospects in the game and has not even played a season, to Brooks Conrad, it's it's clearly coming from a guy living on the West Coast who hasn't watched a regular season Braves game in seven years. Right, and then you also compare the two players at a more in-depth level, and they're, they couldn't be further apart in terms of their defense. Austin Riley is is quite a good defensive third baseman, whereas Brooks Conrad was not your stereotypical utility player in the sense of great glove, cold bat, or, or light hitting player. You know, Austin Riley can do both at a high level when he's going, but his offense is, is certainly inconsistent, but his defense has been pretty stalwart. And it's only gotten better since he's gotten in the league. So it's also a bad comparison in that sense. Austin Riley is a much better defender than Brooks Conrad. Who do you think's got a bigger big league moment right now? Austin Riley with his home run in game one of the NLDS. I keep saying the wrong series. Of the NLCS. Or Brooks Conrad's walk-off grand slam against the Reds in like 2008 or whenever that was. It's 2010, but yeah, I get your point. Yeah, Austin Riley. And you can also say that you know he got that big single in game seven too. Um, I think that scored our third run, so... He's definitely had bigger moments than Conrad. Conrad had a lot of great moments in that 2010 season. He also had the worst 
single inning of a Brave maybe in the history of the organization where he made, I think, two errors in the top of the ninth when we had two outs and we would have taken a commanding 2-1 to one lead against the Giants. I, was, I remember this because I was there. And Lord God, maybe Mark Rollers had a worse moment in, in that, that horrible, I think, game four or five against the Yankees in the, in the World Series I was also at. But that was just so painful to watch. Like, nothing Austin Riley has done, even when that horrible, horrible double play, which was assisted by Swanson, compares to Brooks Conrad, you know, making two grievous errors in, in, that, in that game. The Brooks Conrad game is close to the same level as the Falcon Super Bowl loss. Like, you're not going to forget where you were or the feelings you had when Brooks Conrad continued to make errors. Yeah, and even though the Austin Riley thing was devastating with, with Swanson, that, that double play, we were still winning like 3-1 to one or something. It wasn't like, oh, man, the Dodgers took the lead because of that or whatever. Yeah, we could have added more runs. We should have. If we had, we may have won the game. But it's, it's certainly a different scenario, even though they were both devastating. But the, you got to consider the situation. Top of the ninth, two outs versus 3-1, to one, top of the fourth or fifth, whatever the hell it was. So we we could be sitting here, Graham, talking about spring training and the many positional battles going on for bench spots, the different arms going, the young guys. Kyle Muller went today. He's a possible X factor at some point. But no, we're going to discuss the classic Austin Riley versus Brooks Conrad because we got the next four weeks to talk about all that crap, right? Correct. And I also think that we sort of exhausted ourselves talking through the Lloyd Pierce scenario. So yeah, we got plenty of time to really dive into spring training. Also, let's let some games happen. There's been what three games so far, three or four games. So we got plenty of time to dive in and have a more accurate portrayal of how things are going, I think, after this week. I agree, Graham. Well, I think that wraps us up today, folks. We want to thank you guys for listening. We hope you're staying safe and doing well out there. And we will holler at you next week. Until then, rise up, chop on, unite and conquer, and remain true to Atlanta. Hospitometer